0: It's always interesting. I mean, you do enough customer discovery, you try and develop a mindset of um, kind of who you're building this for. But there's so much to build a lot of times, and I mean, this isn't just a simple web app. I mean, it's it's a, a deep platform, so it has to be robust and scalable out of the gate. And we didn't really cut corners in that side because we knew if this gets interesting to people, they're going to dump a hundred thousand files in this. I mean, so it can't just kick over. We wanted to be more design-led and UX-first, so we wanted to have it as a easy-to-use application from the top down, but a very powerful platform from the bottom up. This all starts with the data. This is Kirk Marple, founder and CEO of Unstruck Data.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry, and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart. And today, how Kirk Marple gave you a way to find insights, even from within your unstructured data. All this and more on Code Story. Kirk Marple has been a family man for 20 plus years now. His kids are older, in their 20s, which he finds amazing. He's been in tech for most of his career, but when he started out professionally, he wanted to be a chef. When he was 13, he wanted to attend culinary school, but then things changed, obviously, but he still cooked often, dabbling in stir-fry and barbecue. After selling his prior company, which was heavy in the broadcast media space, Kirk ended up at General Motors. He started to learn about media data and the value of getting the media data into computer vision algorithms. Five years later, he realized that no one had created the platform to manage this yet, and he got started building it on nights and weekends, first for podcast discovery. This is the creation story of Unstruck Data.
0: Basically, we call it an unstructured data platform. So... There's the kind of uh, term of a modern data stack um, for kind of SQL based data that's out there today. And there's a lot of great companies, I mean, Fivetran and Snowflake and all these of just managing the kind of classic data warehouses and kind of classic SQL based data. And this is really a parallel universe of all the other kind of data from video to audio to 3D, um, that we provide a data platform to let companies really make better use of that data, um, get business insights from it and um, really, I mean, also make it uh, valuable for running ML, uh, machine learning on that data as well. So it's a, it's a pretty big swing. I mean, we're, we're going souped and outs with all the way from the UI to a really powerful platform. Um, but i had had the idea for it really about five years ago. Originally, um, I had had a previous company for about 10, 12 years in the uh, media entertainment space. So I was in broadcast video, um, sold to all the major broadcasters and really learned a lot about scalable file processing and metadata management and just, I mean, built, uh, we bootstrapped it and so it was, I mean, I really learned it from the ground up. And, but the end result was, I mean, the, the content, the video was for, I mean, Netflix and YouTube and things like that. And so it was for eyeballs. But about five years ago, I ended up at General Motors after selling my company and was starting to learn about all the other uses of, of this kind of media data, like 3D LIDAR data, um, video from the vehicles, things like that. And there were so many parallels of, I mean, they're trying to make this data valuable, but they're not getting it into eyeballs, they're getting it into computer vision algorithms, I mean, essentially. And so time and time again, I was a, a CTO or VP of a couple of different companies, Everybody was trying to build it from scratch, and I finally was like, look, I mean, if four or five years later, this still doesn't exist in the market, I mean, I should go build it. Um, And so I started nights and weekends kind of working on, I was actually working on a podcast discovery tool um, or platform that could kind of uh, run ML and run things on the podcast and kind of create this knowledge graph from the data in the podcast. And that actually became the start of it. And it ended up being—I mean, we raised a seed round last year, about a year ago exactly—and got started as Unstruck Data.
1: Well, tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built. Tell me, you know, how long it took you to build, and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life.
0: I've always been a kind of Microsoft stack um, developer. At least, I mean, I I started off—I mean—with C and C++ for years, but then. have been a .NET guy for 20 years now. Um, so that's kind of my go-to on the back end. I mean, C-sharp, um, we ended up, uh, it had started out in .NET Framework and then ended up being uh, .NET Core um, ported over to that. But it's it's all Azure um, cloud native. Um, it's a serverless platform, um, basically an event-driven serverless platform um, is how we built it. And so I would actually, Had sort of a prototype of this, I guess, about two, it really started about three years ago, and then was on um, Azure Cosmos DB with their graph API, so I kind of taught myself graph databases. And it just really became, I mean, kind of came together as this really elegant platform that... Everything. I mean, events fire events, and, and we just have um, serverless functions to to handle them, and, and it, uh, it scales really nicely. And then we use a lot of managed services uh, from Azure. So yeah, it. Uh, we've kind of the for the MVP point, I'd had a good bit of the backend ready a year ago, and so um, I hired it. Basically, brought together a team of folks I'd worked with before. Um, they were good front end. I mean, are great front end developers, and so. Basically, I'm, I mean, was doing the back end, they were doing the front end, and it took about six months um, to get what we kind of call like a private preview. And that we started showing off in um, October of last year, of 2021. And that was the first time really anybody, I mean, we got public feedback on it, um, and definitely it was, uh, I mean, it was still very very M in MVP. And uh, there were some things that we realized that were really, I mean, we needed to do. And so that's why we, this Q1 of 2022, we've really been focused on adding um, some core new features that I think we had hoped it would be sort of more sellable, um, more viable in Q4, but we realized it's it was still a little light in some areas. And so um, we've been really heads down this quarter.
1: So, okay, so for that, that first version of your product, the MVP, you, you you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs when you're building that first version, right, of what you're going to include and what you're not. So t- tell me, me about some of those decisions you had to make and how you coped with those decisions.
0: It's always interesting. I mean, you do enough customer discovery, you try and develop a mindset of um, kind of who you're building this for. Um, but there's so much to build a lot of times. And, I mean, we're... Not, I mean, this isn't just a simple web app. I mean, it's it's a, a deep platform, so it has to be robust and scalable out of the gate. And we didn't really cut corners in uh, in that side because we knew if this gets interesting to people, they're going to dump a hundred thousand files in this. I mean, so it can't just kick over. Uh, so I think we leaned into, I mean, a couple of areas where. We wanted to be more design-led and UX first. So we wanted to have it as a easy to use application from the top down, but a very powerful platform from the bottom up. Um, so I think, I mean, there were things around machine learning that we wanted to do that we had to kind of push off. And we really focused just on, okay, this all starts with the data. Let's make sure that we're making it easy for people to put data into the system, um, either upload it or we can essentially synchronize like cloud buckets um, into the back end. Um, we can, I mean, get it visualized. We wanted to make sure that people could see all the data that they put in. Um, so we licensed actually some um, viewers. We were a React front end, and so we licensed things like a 3D viewer and a, um, uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, an audio, like a tiled um, image uh, viewer as well. We, um, it was an open source one. And so we leaned into the, whatever you put in, you should be able to see. And essentially we became a search engine for this data, where any, they could put anything into it and you could search the graph that we created. Um, the problem is, I mean, that doesn't really close the loop. It's, okay, that's cool. I can sort of search things, but what can I, like, can I alert on things? Can I inject machine learning algorithms into this thing? And so we there was really this foundation that we had to build um, before it really got interesting. And so, The first six, nine months were really about building that foundation, but it really wasn't a sellable product at that point. Like we could talk about it and should show people, but it didn't give them the business value of, of where where we're heading right now.
1: Okay. So from that point though, you, you built the foundation, you got it out. It's not a sellable product. You're getting feedback and now you have a launch date in the future that you're building towards. How are you going about deciding how you're going to progress the product and and how are you building your roadmap and deciding okay this is the next most important thing to build
0: basically a head of engineering a product and then a product owner that i work with so the three of us we kind of call ourselves we're like the product council so we we're really the kind of purveyors of of that roadmap um, we have a designers on staff that i mean we can basically work with and I think I mean our process. And I mean kudos to our, our head of head of engineering product. I mean it's that has gotten really smooth. And uh, it did take a little. I mean there were bumps in the road at the start, but just getting we use product board um, as kind of our main area of where the um, where the roadmap kind of lays out quarterly. And so we uh, we have a quarterly roadmap. We do reviews every few weeks or so just to make sure we're still on schedule. And then prioritization. It's really. It can come from a couple different things. It can be, um, con- like, we have this conference coming up next month, so right now we're very focused on okay, we have to do a product demo. Um, it's not going to be a live demo; it's going to be a video. But so the visual side of it gets prioritized, and we're saying, look, I mean, we can show this. Maybe, maybe after, um, maybe after it actually uh, runs. I mean, we like it's we're kind of faking it in the back end for the video, but. Um, Maybe we actually, I mean, we can sort of uh, make that work a couple weeks later. So, there's some things that we can do to, I mean, kind of manage who's going to see it. Is it a real customer seeing it, or is it just for kind of sales demos? Um, And that's really how we're balancing the roadmap right now. So, there's three major areas that we're focused on, and we're just really trying to knock those out. Um, We worked really hard on them in Q1, and there's a little bit of overlap into Q2, but it's, now we're really focused on once we plan to get customers, which is in about a month, uh, what are things they would really use day to day? And that's, those are the things that bubble to the top of the stack.
1: So let's, let's switch to team. How, how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you?
0: Most everybody I started with, I think actually everybody um, I'd worked with before at three up to four companies. So have a really good core group of people. I mean, we work together. Um, We've actually worked in a remote situation everywhere. So that was really easy to, I mean, we're just a a Slack uh, company at heart. And so I think... That way, I think when you have people you trust, um, makes it so much easier. And and I know that complementary pieces, like we have um, somebody focused on QA and ops, um, we have I mean product, we have front end engineering. Um, I still do. I mean uh, the bulk of the back end engineering uh, myself. And so I think it's. I mean having those complementary people around you is uh, is really key.
1: Let's flip to scalability, and it's still early days, but I'm curious how you approach scalability, and if you've built it you know from day one to be scalable, or you're gonna fight this as you grow.
0: In the video transcoding world, where my old company was, it was all on-prem. Um, so I built, essentially it was, I mean, of like Spark, if you're familiar with that, like a sort of clustered grid computing system that would spread the load of the videos across a a farm of of servers. So we were gated in terms of scale, like we needed to make best use of the servers we had, but we couldn't really scale past that unless they deployed physical hardware. Um, And when I started thinking about this new product area, I knew that I wanted it to be cloud native. I knew I wanted it to be scalable. Um, I had started out actually with um, Service Fabric, um, which was a I mean almost sort of Kubernetes-like. I mean, it's sort of more of a grid system, but you still it wasn't sort of infinitely scalable. And then I guess about three years ago, I started to think, look, I mean, I could really move all of this over to serverless and to Azure functions and make it virtually infinitely scalable. Um, I had already started with the event-driven architecture, and that was really at the heart of what I think has benefited us a lot. I mean, there's no true kind of single point of failure. Um, We're using a managed database with Cosmos, I mean, so then that's already replicated. And so we figured as a small company, let's leverage the good things that are out there for scalability below us, like with the database. And then as long as we stay serverless, um, we can burst out, I mean, hugely. And so I think that's that was really some of the underpinnings of the architecture, and it's really served us well. So I mean, if anything, we kind of overdid scalability from day one, just so we wouldn't have to deal with it downstream.
1: So, Kirk, as you step out on the balcony, and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: I mean, I think it, at my last company, there was, um, I mean, we had we had, had PBS using ev- like our software in every PBS station around the country. And we haven't had that moment yet with this company. Um, I think right now, I think with the where we're at, it's I think it's a very elegant um, architecture. I'm really happy with the design of kind of where it's heading. I think it's going to add a ton of value um, to customers, but it's still early days enough that I mean, it hasn't taken off. I mean, you know, we haven't. I mean, that's we're still right at that cusp of of seeing that feedback. Um, I think the folks we've talked to, it. It really kind of breaks through a glass ceiling for a lot of folks where they didn't realize they could do that with their data. And the ability to, I mean, kind of auto-tag things visually and say, hey, find me this vehicle in all of my images um, without having the right code. Um, the, those kind of no-code auto ML solutions, I think are, are pretty mind blowing. And I think once we get those really refined, I think that's probably gonna be the one area that, I mean, we could sort of democratize the machine learning and this type of data for a new class of users. Um, so that that's really the thing I'm looking forward to the most. I mean, we haven't achieved it fully yet, but I think that's going to be uh, one of those areas that we start to see that we we can make an impact.
1: Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: I mean, there's a couple different areas. I think, I mean, technical mistakes, I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's I mean, a ton, I mean, other than bugs and stuff like that, I mean, no, we haven't had to rewrite anything majorly, um, at least yet in the last year. But I think in, in terms of uh, process, I think is the biggest place that, I mean, we've ran into some struggles of when you get going, I mean, the first six months of a company are hard and trying to manage priorities. I mean, you're dealing with not a lot of data. I mean, you have some customer data, but um, I think one of the areas we, how we had the handoffs between user experience and design and product was really rough at first. Um, And finally, I think just from a lot of, I mean, tough communication and, I mean, headbanging against the wall, we finally got into a, a really nice process of, I mean, okay, product is responsible for this layer of planning. I mean, they work with design, they get a mock-up, the mock-up goes and gets reviewed and just being able to have those checkpoints and that that explicit process. And at the end of the day, it doesn't maybe look that different from the outside, but functionally, it's just, I mean, we've greased the wheels so much now that everybody knows their role. Everybody knows like when to say yes or no, if they like it or not. Everybody knows to shut up, (laughs) especially, which is more about me. But I think a lot of times there were, it was never clear. Like, okay, when should I give feedback? I mean, when have we said okay? When is it still in process? And and I think that mul- was a multiplier effect for all of, all of our development. And so now we're not like redoing things, and we were not pulling people off off features and putting them on different features. So um, that product process, I think, is. I mean, that was the biggest sort of wall we hit that we had to we had to kind of get through. And um, and but it, it's yeah. I mean, the last kind of following six months of the year um, were, were way smoother and it's, it's been great to see.
1: Okay, so I know you've got a big release coming up, but even go beyond that, what does the future look like for the product and for your team?
0: It's a, it's a pretty big swing. I mean, and I look at, I mean, the companies out there like Snowflake, Databricks, I mean, these kind of huge data platforms, um, I really see ourselves up there with them and that we could be the de facto place that people put these types of media, and they get value from it. And so it's, I mean, right now the there's this gap where if you have videos and images and, and uh, 3D files on cloud storage, a lot of times you have to write, I mean, code, uh, I mean, typically Python code to extract value from it, run machine learning models, um, be able to trigger events and things like that. Or you'd have to cobble it together and kind of DIY the whole thing. And we really see that there's a new concept here. I mean, kind of like, uh, RPA for I mean document handling and, and it's like UiPath and these kind of companies that I mean can do it in different domains we really think You can dump all your data in the top of the funnel. I mean we can pull in your data from your cloud storage and Really open up to more data analysts business data analysts and other subject matter experts the value of what's on un- like unlocked in your data or locked in your data and so I mean it's it's a big swing. Um, we we really want to be that kind of de facto company that people think about. Just in that same kind of conversation of, if you have SQL-ish data, you're going to use like Snowflake. If you have any other file type data, you use Unstruck. Um, that's that's really the goal of where we're heading. And it's, uh, I mean, we're we're getting there. We know it's a multi-year effort, but that's, uh, I mean, we have a, a pretty high north star.
1: Well, let's switch to you, Kurt. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person you look up to and why.
0: I mean, it's funny in the in my sort of origin story. I mean, Anthony Bourdain was always uh, sort of somebody that I saw. I mean, as a I mean as a chef and as an entrepreneur and and things like that. I mean, sadly, he's gone now. But I think in in terms of, I always tended to get. I always loved watching the the restaurant shows where there's like a single chef that is trying to make the the business happen. And and I always saw so many parallels between. That sort of starting story of building restaurants and starting companies, and so for some, I mean I I think from a in a software world there's so many great entrepreneurs I mean it's it's uh, I mean, too many to name almost, but I think that's where I mean really the um, I mean I always kind of look at at, um, at parallels and patterns more than specific people, and I think I mean learning from that struggle of. I mean, there's never enough time, there's never enough resources, um, but making something out of it and making something beautiful at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, I try and follow that kind of path.
1: Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: I mean, obviously, since I'm an engineer and and kind of classically, I think go-to-market sales is always... um, I mean, I love talking to people. I mean, I think getting into um, conversations with folks um, is always valuable. I mean, I always learn stuff about where the product can go, and I love that kind of product discovery. Um, but it's not. I mean, I'm kind of more of the classic introverted tech guy, and so I think it's having to even push past that and, and just get get out there more. Um, get, I mean, get more. Even even when you think you have enough customer discovery, you never have enough. And so I think, I mean, just time is never your friend. So I think at this point is uh, I would have loved to have had like I mean 10x more conversations last year and that's probably the only I mean the only area that I see is uh, that I mean if we had I, I think from the engineering side I think we've done a great job um, I mean obviously I mean maybe we could have cut a month off here or there but um, in general it's it's more about the the sales and the customer discovery side that I would uh, I would love to go back and, and impact more
1: well Kirk last question So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is just don't give up. I mean, I think it's never easy. Um, I mean, I've been in my old company of, I mean, times when your bank account's empty and then the next day you get a $50,000 check from a customer. And so I think you really have to be resilient and believe in yourself. I mean, I think at this point, it's, I mean, this is taking a risk. I mean, it's, it's taking other people's money for the first time. And I mean, you have to respect that. So I think having the ability to, um, and, and respect, I mean, you have people, your, I mean, your teams, lives in your hand their family in your hands too so it's not just about the tech i mean it's, it's about the people it's about the i mean the people that are relying on you and, and just to take it seriously but also try and have fun in the process i mean it's very stressful but it's uh i think that i think is uh to keep your head above water don't just dive into the tech or don't just dive into the money side and, and try and um try and learn along the way
1: that's great advice Well, Kirk, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Unstruck Data.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month.